Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Responsibility. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It's Friday, January 12th, 2024. Responsibility is a double entendre. I'll start with me. I feel a responsibility to you, which is why I'm in the chair at 8 a.m. on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Whatever crud Coca had through the fiber optic world, he has given it to me. I feel like complete A double S. But I have a responsibility to be here because you're going to be here. So we're going to get through a show. There's way too much to do. And I was not going to cancel. I'd have to be way sicker than I am now. Responsibility also is Robert Kraft. His responsibility. Owners talk that way a lot. When they win a championship, they thank the fans. You're the greatest fans in the world. Of course, someone's lying every team that wins the Super Bowl in every city, y'all can't be the greatest. It's one of the funny things with parents. You're the greatest football player. You're the greatest son. Well, if you had two sons, wouldn't it be a tie? 50-50? We said that there'd be a press conference with Kraft and Belichick. I was called in to do Fox Business News, Coca, so I go into Fox Business News and it was very interesting at uh, 1211 Avenue of the Americas yesterday. And I'm in the green room and they're showing Fox News, Fox Business News, and the Belichick press conference is live on Fox News. And Fox Business is teasing the fact that they're gonna talk about it on their show with me. And I've been on that show several times. I had a moment sitting in the green room after they powdered my nose and touched up my wrinkles and said, ooh, tough week, Dave. Yeah, not an ideal one. So they take care of that. And I was thinking to myself, this press conference is a way bigger deal than I had it in my head. The way I saw it playing out was very simple and we told you on the show yesterday, this is gonna be amicable, amiable. It's going to be mutual. You're gonna talk about it's the greatest coach ever, greatest combination ever. We love you, Bill, Hall of Famer. All of the things that we thought would happen, that they do it together, which is not how it happens in Tennessee when Vrabel gets fired. It's not what happens in Seattle when Carroll gets fired. It is very rare 
that you bring your coach who you had just fired and do a press conference. So I'm watching them do the press conference and I'm listening to Robert Kraft. And he's crafting these statements that were crafted for him. And he is saying them in a way that he is talking about the responsibility that he feels toward you, the fan, which is why this change had to happen. This mutual change, make sure you know. This amicable change, make sure you know. And Fox puts up the lowers. There's people who are PAs who are doing lowers, graphic assistants, production assistants. What's he saying? Oh, he just said it's amicable. It was mutual. I love that they agreed to do it that way. Bill Belichick did have a year left on his contract. So he's getting paid for that year. This is in effect, legally, it was a firing. He was removed from his job. Because if you resign from a job with a year left on a contract, then your employer doesn't owe you that money. So here's a little nugget, folks. Don't ever resign. When you're fired, you are owed the balance of your contract. In football, as in many sports, there is a mitigation clause which states that if Bill Belichick gets a job at another team making $5 million and the Patriots owe him $8 million, then next year, Bill Belichick still will make that $8 million, but it will be paid $5 million by the Patriots, $3 million by the Patriots, and $5 million by his new team, if his new team signs him for $5 million a year. The shenanigans go on when you hire a coach and pay him hundred grand, and then make the Patriots pay the $7.9 million, and then you knock on Roger Goodell's door and say, that's not fair, and Roger Goodell says, you're right, we are forcing this new team who hires Belichick to pay him, quote unquote, market rate for a head coach. And then they lie because market rate for Bill Belichick, the winningest head coach, the most decorated head coach in history, should be the highest number that any head coach makes. But they don't make the new team pay him 8 million, 10 million. They'll make him pay him five or six. So the Patriots are still on the hook for a, a smidge. But they stood on the press conference and they stood on the dais made sure that you knew that Kraft feels a responsibility to do what he can do to fix the team, indicating the last three to four years, it wasn't great. It's time to move on. That's how you talk when you're firing a legend. It is so rare, and I tip my chapeau to Bill Belichick for allowing Kraft to exit with such great aplomb and for taking the high road when Belichick had said, I'm not doing a press conference. I wanted to coach next year. I wanted to be here next year. But like with anybody who's been together for that many years, hey, let's check out what else is out there. And for those who thought that he wasn't gonna coach again, my guess is he's already made the decision where he's coaching again. You heard Robert Kraft in the press conference say, I'm gonna root for you, I promise. Seeing you in that cutoff hoodie with another team's logo is gonna be tough. And unless you're playing the Patriots, I'm rooting for you. All sorts of hugs awkward man hugs. They put their arm around each other a little bit. They didn't do a full frontal hug, sort of the, the arm around casual grays. I think that press conference ends and that's it. I don't think Kraft and Belichick are going to dinner tomorrow night. I don't think they're gonna call each other up and say, hey, how's Johnny doing? Yeah, he's doing well, thank you. Just got a new job and feels good. How's your wife, Rob? Oh, she's good. I'm a little tired, hard to keep up. But otherwise, good. I'm just not sure that actually happens in real life. Patriots are going to hire a coach. Yes, they are. 
I wonder when Bill Belichick is going to sign. It's going to be soon. I think his deal's done. There's no major rush. The scouting combine isn't for over a month. The Super Bowl's in a month from yesterday on February 11th. He may be announced after the Super Bowl. But I think if I'm a head coach, if I'm an owner of a team who's hiring Belichick, I want to hire him right now so I can start selling. I can start selling in the way Cubs sold Craig Council. People are wondering, and I was wondering the same, whether there's a team with an existing coach here in New York. Do you fire Sala? Do you fire Dabble and bring in Belichick? I think he'll go to a team with an opening. I don't see it as a council situation where David Ross got fired when Craig Council became available. Wink, wink. Then they brought in Council and fired Ross. No one expected that. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that there could be some playoff coaches who get fired after this weekend's games. People have told you, and I totally agree, Jerry Jones can't stand Pat, no pun intended, if the Cowboys lose to the Packers. That'd be an interesting thing. I wonder how it would work when Bill Belichick goes in to talk to Jerry Jones. Hey, Jerry, I love you. I love that you're the GM of the team, but I've got a little surprise for you. You want me to be your head coach? I'm also the GM. No more pretending that you're everything, president, owner, GM. Unless, of course, you want to be the head coach and I can be your defensive coordinator. Mike Vrabel won't get that power from Dallas. No way. I wonder if Mike Vrabel will get the power that Bill Belichick had from the beginning. It's what he wanted with the Titans. He didn't get it. He lost out in the power struggle. We're going to find out. It's going to be interesting. It's hard for owners to decide when to do that because you're not spreading your risk. When you make one guy in charge of everything, you better have chosen the right guy or you have a problem. Yesterday was one of my favorite days in the baseball calendar. I'm going to talk about this for a bit, Coca, so settle in. You know, our usual, maybe an eight-minute topic on arbitration. Arbitration in Major League Baseball is the amount of money a player gets paid who's accrued more than three years of service time and fewer than six years of service time. Upon six years, you become a free agent, sign with whoever you want. Before three years, you are the property of the team who drafted you or who has you on their roster, and they can pay you whatever they want as long as it's over the minimum. But for those years in between, you get to negotiate and you get to use comparables. You get to say, look, that guy got paid 30 million. I deserve to be paid more. My name is Juan Soto. Scott Boris does not like going to arbitration. Scott Boris is gonna settle his arbitration case with Juan Soto and the Yankees, and they settled at $31 million, therefore setting a new record that was just set last year by Otani. You see, Soto is in the last year of arbitration. When you are in the last year of arbitration, you get to compare yourself to everybody. Juan Soto at $31 million. So the reason why I love arbitration so much is that it is an opportunity to actually convince a player that they are who they are, not who they think they are. And if you can't convince them who they are, then you get three neutral guys, women, people, arbitrators, actual arbitrators. You get three actual arbitrators who get to say to the player, hey, this is who you are. You're not that. Because when you're just dealing with an agent and you're just dealing with the player in minor league free agency or major league free agency, 
there are so many disagreements about worth when it comes to number of years and average annual value. You're comparing yourself to this free agent. You shouldn't. We're not paying you for what you did. We're paying you for what you're going to do. Arbitration. You are paid for the career you've had up to the point of arbitration. It is not based on what you may do. It's not based on what you will do. It's based on what you have done. And sometimes players have a different view of what they've done than teams. Sometimes players have a different view of what they've done as compared to other players and what they've done than how teams view it. And when you can't come to an agreement with a player, you actually offer that player a contract at a number that you want. And then the player says, I'm not signing that contract, but I'll sign a contract at the number I want and submits that contract to you. Did you know that's what an arbitration hearing actually is? There's two contracts in front of the arbitrator. Talk about uh, Luis Arise of the Marlins. Good enough example as any, won the batting title. He wants to get paid $12 million. The Marlins want to pay him 10.6. When he goes into the hearing room, the arbitrators will actually have two contracts in front of them. One that has 12, one that has 10.6, and they choose which will be his contract. There's no putting the number in the middle. There's no choosing a different number. When you go to an arbitration hearing in baseball, the result is either what the team submits or what the player submits. And back in 2000, I had a problem with that system. Because what was happening is players were submitting numbers that were so low and teams were submitting numbers that were so high that neither of them were reasonable and there were huge risks involved in arbitration. Let's pretend that Luis Arias wanted to get paid $12 million. In the old days, he would have submitted a number of 18. And the Marlins, instead of submitting 10.6, would have submitted like 6 million. And then they would have said, look, 12 million is the midpoint. Let's do a midpoint settlement. Let's not go to a hearing and let's not spend three hours saying how bad you are and you telling us how good you are. Let's just settle in the middle. So what used to happen is players would file a number that was a settlement number. Teams would file a number that was a settlement number. And when you do that, you get midpoint creepage, MPC. And I noticed it immediately and I had a better idea. Larry Beinfest and I were doing arbitration in 2000 with Montreal. And we looked at what was happening where we were forced to settle a case against a player because the owner would not let us go to arbitration with a guy named Wilton Guerrero because Vladimir Guerrero and his agent told the owner, I'm not happy that you're screwing around with my brother. Turns out he didn't actually give a flying rat's pituitary gland, but that's what he said. And we ended up settling at a ridiculous number because the filing numbers were meant to settle because we knew we had no choice. And we decided at that moment, we're done. If we ever exchange numbers with a player, we are going to the hearing room. We're not gonna settle on the courtroom stairs. We're not gonna settle even one minute after the exchange of numbers. So yesterday you saw a flurry of players sign deals, scores of players. 
because if players don't sign deals by yesterday at 8 a.m., the team gives the number that it thinks the, the player should get. The player gives the number that it thinks the player should get. And those players have until their hearing in January or February to settle, to sign a long-term deal, or as we used to do, don't talk at all. We had a system called file to go. If we file a number, we are going to the hearing room. Therefore, if you are a player and you file a number that is unreasonably high because you think we're gonna settle with you at the quote unquote midpoint, you're gonna have to defend that number in a hearing and you're gonna lose. So the result was when you say that you're a file to go team and you actually file and go, you have to follow through, agents take note and they file their players at lower numbers. So many of you are asking me right now at David P. Sampson on Twitter, some of you at davidsampsonpodcast.com, how could the Marlins go to arbitration with Jazz Chisholm over $250,000? That means file to go, which Bruce Sherman continues to do. Maybe it's the only thing they still do that we used to do. It causes the differences to be smaller and smaller, so the risks are smaller and smaller. The player files at a number that they can actually defend. The team files a number at a number they can actually defend. It causes spreads to be lower, risks to be lower. So why not just settle? Give them the extra 300 grand. That's a very common thing for fans to say. That's the whole point. You don't go to the player's number and by filing to go, you've created the player forcing him to do a more reasonable number, causing a smaller spread, and you go to the room. Is there as much anxiety when there's 200 grand versus when there's 2 million? No, that's why you always hope to have small spread as possible. But if you say that you're filed to go and then you don't, then agents ignore you. And all of the negotiating that went on yesterday and all of the players who signed, from Dylan Cease to Justin Bieber. God, it's, it's enough for that. 2869. From Dylan Cease to, I'm blanking Coca. Is this really happening to me? Shane Bieber, thank you so much. To Zach Gallen, to Framber Valdez. You had all these players settling their arbitration, which gives teams certainty it stops them from having to go to a room and spend money on a case, and they can move on to the next part of the offseason. So the reason it was always my favorite day is that there we, we, we would have baseball interns with phones. We'd have different agents on different phones because there's a deadline. And if we don't have a deal done by a deadline, then there's no deal. And in order for a deal to be approved, the commissioner's office has to be told of the deal. So there'd be one baseball intern who is on the phone with the commissioner's office, having them on hold. There is one baseball intern who's holding with Boris Corporation. There's another holding with the Levinson brothers, another holding with Joel Wolf, and we're all doing everything at once. I used to love it. And then we'd know when we were done how many cases we had, whether it was gonna be in Arizona or Florida, and we'd start working. When you win, we did arbitration after winning season, we did it after losing seasons, we did it after winning a World Series. We had players who 
had arbitration, were eligible for arbitration. The Texas Rangers had arbitration after a World Series with their star, Adolis Garcia. You may not remember him. He was the one who was so hot during the playoffs, then got hurt at the end of the World Series, and still the Rangers prevailed. There was a time during the World Series when I told you that Garcia was going to make $7 million in arbitration as a first-time arbitration guy. Well, guess what? Adolis Garcia did not come to an agreement with his team, and they filed numbers that are going to go to a hearing, but here's the problem. Adolis Garcia only filed at $6.9 million. Come on, man. You cost me a wait to see because the most he can now make is 6.9. The Rangers filed at 5 million. That's an important case. 5 million for a first time eligible player with broken service. That's a hell of a number for Garcia. For him to get to 6.9, you're talking Cabrera territory, first time eligible. And Garcia does have bulk, but that's gonna be an interesting hearing. I don't see it settling. And it is okay bringing a World Series hero to the arbitration room. Trust me. Nobody's like Corbin Burns. That's an inside baseball thing, isn't it? Inside baseball is Corbin Burns being upset that the Brewers took him to arbitration last year and then being upset with what they said about him during arbitration and him holding some sort of anger and frustration through the course of the season. Well, the Brewers said, you know, let's not do that with him again. Let's not do that with him again. So they settled with Corbin Burns. I think they gave him... 15.63 million and said, Corbin, are you okay? We just want to make sure you're okay. The Yankees are pretty famous. They don't like going to arbitration. It came all the way from George Steinbrenner when George was alive. He did not like to be in a room and he wouldn't go, but he didn't like anybody saying anything bad about his players that wasn't him through his sources in the New York Post. If you're doing it in a legal way and you're telling the truth about what a player's worth, George doesn't want to be bothered with that. He'd rather just call you a felon. The Yankees made a big move yesterday. I hope you're all excited. Marcus Stroman had $21 million left on his Cubs deal. He opted out of it. Are you surprised that he got more? He ain't opting out without knowing he was getting more. And the Yankees said, all right, you're getting more. He got 37 million instead of 21. Of course, he's got a pitch an extra year, so he's making under 21 million per year, but this is an example of when I tell you players opt out, they may take less money in the year in which they had opted out, but they're getting more total money because they get a year tacked on. That is a standard run-of-the-mill opt-out what Marcus Stroman did. The best part about that contract is they gave him a third-year vesting option and Marcus Stroman must be all happy that if I pitch, all I got to do is pitch 140 innings in 2025, and I'll be rich. I'm going to get a third year. This will be amazing. Until you realize he hasn't pitched 140 innings in years, and the odds of him pitching. As a matter of fact, here you go, Coca. I've got to wait to see that I didn't think I was going to do. Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, great. So for example, we revisit it. On August 16th of 2023, when Shane McClanahan got hurt, the pitcher for the Rays, I said to you, he was an arbitration eligible player. I said, you know what? The Rays are going to give him a long-term deal. They're going to give him a multi-year deal. 
because that's what the Rays do when they have a player lost to injury. Shane McClanahan yesterday signed a two-year deal. How's that for a way to see? Yes. Mark it, Coca. Book it. The way to see on Marcus Stroman is that his vesting option is related to innings pitched for 2025. But we're going to get this way to see done earlier. Marcus Stroman will not pitch 140 innings in 2024. When you're injured, you're injured. When you're prone to injury, you're prone to injury. Book it. I told you I'm playing hurt today, for those of you watching. All right, when we take a break, four, eight, six, nine. All right, when we come back after the break, we're going to tell a story about what's going on in Houston and how bad it is given they're about to play a very important, I mean, every playoff game is important, but they've got an exciting playoff game coming this weekend. And all anybody's talking about in that organization is there's more succession fighting, real life succession that keeps happening at all these teams. It's happening again with the McNair family. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, Matthew Coca here on a Friday, last show of the week. It's been another big week for Nothing Personal. So thank you. You have made it that way. Please tell your friends, spread the word. Some guy, Coke, I didn't, oh, God, this is sort of a look at me, Louis thing. When I was walking back from the Fox studio to go back to the subway, I was walking, I had my coat on, and I hear a guy yell, Samson. And I turn around, and it's a guy in his 30s, and he's dressed very casually, and he looks at me and he says, you won't believe this. And he shows me his cell phone, and he's listening to nothing personal while walking through the streets of Manhattan. He's like, I'm listening to you, your voice, and then it's your face, man. And then he comes in for the bro hug. What was I gonna do? I didn't know what to do, I had to do it. I did the hand extension, but he wasn't smaller than I was. What do you do when you do the hand extension and someone does the hand extension with the pull? I was absolutely frozen. So the hand extension comes, the pull comes. It's sort of the hug where I do shoulder to shoulder with the arm around with space in between. What if they're like some sort of, I don't know, pointy things on the back of the coat? I'm not saying that's my demographic or that's my audience. 
I don't know. I was so thankful. I said, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And I did. I thought it was really cool. Have you ever been in that position where you just think you're getting a little fist bump or handshake and then all of a sudden before you know it, you're skin on skin? Anyway, I watched a movie yesterday, which I loved. There was a movie with James Woods and Glenn Close called Immediate Family. My guess is it's from the 80s, maybe 90s. Very, very good movie. I cried. I remember crying for that movie. And uh, one of the things that someone here is live right now, and I'm losing my mind, but one of the things that I will tell you is that when I saw that Immediate Family was a new movie, I thought it was a remake of my old Immediate Family, which I totally loved. As it turns out, it's not that at all. This is a movie from 2023 that is about four studio musicians, session musicians. It turns out that session musicians are really super important. Whether it's with Phil Collins or Bon Jovi or any of the big names, Carol King, Linda Ronstad, Jackson Brown, think of any names you want. These are the musicians who are playing inside the studio. Sometimes they even get to go on tour. They're the ones in the background that you may or may not have heard of. And guess what? They're pretty talented in and of themselves. So the question is, would you watch an entire movie about session musicians you've never heard of? And the answer is, you have to. That's how good this movie is. So please, immediate family, watch it. All right, let's talk about the Texans. We follow a lot of what happens with families who own teams. It's a thing. In baseball, you're forced to give a succession plan. The succession plan is who is going to be the control person when the current control person is no longer able to be the control person. If it's a father, they put their son in, let's say, or their son-in-law. Or the succession plan is that the team is going to get sold upon the incapacitation. The reason why baseball requires a succession plan is they don't want the fighting that you're seeing all the time in football. The problem is they don't enforce it in baseball the way they should. And succession plans sometimes in baseball become problematic as you're seen in Baltimore with the Angelos family and the fighting that's going on between the sons, between the sons and the mother. Football is very interesting to me because going back 33 years, they've had succession issues and they have not tightened it up. I don't know if those of you in Miami remember Joe Robbie Stadium, that same stadium that was renamed Pro Player where the Marlins won the World Series that is now called Hard Rock Stadium. The Dolphins were owned by Joe Robbie. When Joe Robbie croaked, the family fought like crazy over the Dolphins. They had a huge tax to pay and they ended up having to sell the team at a discount because they owed so much money and hadn't done the right estate planning. The Washington Commanders before Dan Snyder had problems. The old guy, Jack Ken Cook, he wanted to give his team to charity and his son was PO'd and it caused lawsuits. 
We saw when a husband dies and the wife gets it, you got problems, especially if it's a second wife and there's kids from the first marriage. Then all of a sudden the kids from the first marriage are like, I'll take the team. And the wife from the second marriage is saying, no, no, I took care of your dad. I wiped his tuchus. I'll take the team. All right, we'll fight. That's what happened with the New Orleans Saints. That Gail Benson, remember? Yeah. Gail Benson has been basically fighting the children of Tom Benson over the team. It's insanity. How about the Broncos? They were just sold to the Walmart guy for all that money. Do you know why? Because Pat Boland died and his kids were fighting like crazy. Well, let's add the Texans to the list. And the Texans are actually playing great football. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a big game coming up. And wouldn't you know it, just in time for the game, Roger Goodell opens his paper in the morning, licks his thumb, looks at the next page. He's like, oh no, no, no distractions, please. Well, if you've heard the name Janice McNair, she's 87 years old. Janice McNair used to be married to, I think Bob McNair. Bob McNair dies, Janice McNair has the team. But now Janice McNair is getting older and Janice McNair's team, um, person, basically, her son is saying, I don't think that mommy is ready. I don't think she is able in any way to run this team. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get her incapacitated. I am going to make it so a court rules that my mother cannot do anything. How about that? That's pretty good. Here's the problem. One of Janice McNair's other sons, who happens to be the brother of the one who's trying to get his own mother ruled incapacitated, is the one who's running the team. This is brother on brother stuff. And what they're trying to do is pretend it's not brother on brother, it's really brother on mother. But it's not. So all these court documents keep getting filed. And what the court documents are saying is that the judge needs to decide whether this 87-year-old woman, Janice McNair, is gaga. And this is the stuff that makes football crazy. They don't want judges involved. They don't want courts involved. So the judge is going to have to make a decision here. And there will be a decision made, I assure you of that. One of the problems is that this all should be private. But none of it's private because when you are the son, the not wise son, when you're the wicked son going against your mom and your brother, you want everything to be as public as possible. Think about what happened with the Angelo situation. And the reason is that you're gonna look bad for what you're doing, but you get to say, hey, I'm doing this for you. My responsibility for the fans. My mother can't be handling this asset. She can't be taking care of this team and the brother who's doing it, idiot. So this is about you fans. Well, judges are reticent to render people incapacitated. I mean, notwithstanding the Britney Spears situation. I'll give you a wait to see on this one because it's, it's just, this one's a little crazy. 
you know, Janice McNair at 87 is asking the judge to keep everything quiet, keep everything sealed. We don't think it's good for our fans to see my medical records or to see the finances of the team. We don't think it's good for the fans to have any idea of what's happening with my crazy family. The judge has to decide what's going to be public, what's not going to be public. But the real decision is how incapacitated she is. I'm going to give you a wait to see. NFL does not want Janice McNair to be ruled incapacitated. Trust me. Wait to see. Let's make it official. Janice McNair will not be ruled to be incapacitated by the judge. But she's going to get called into the principal's office. And hey, um, Janice, uh, can you get control of your kinder, please? It's a damn embarrassment. All right. I got a little update for you. Quick, quick update, if you don't mind. I'm going to get to my picks of the day, but I want to give you a quick update, if you don't mind. We talk about succession plans, and we talked about Robert Kraft having a succession plan, how he had responsibility to the fans. And while we were doing the show, he did what we said he was going to do yesterday. We said he was going to have a head coach super fast, and it was going to be Mustard, Colonel Mustard in the library with a hammer. He just hired Jared Mayo. Are you shocked by that? When he got a long-term deal and he was the heir apparent to Bill Belichick and the day after the press conference for Bill Belichick, the Patriots already have their head coach. They must have gone through an exhaustive candidacy, interviewed a bunch of people. Congratulations, Jared Mayo. I'm actually very happy. He'll be introduced in a press conference next week. Now that the Patriots have a coach, no one shocked. People thought Vrabel was going to go back there, but Robert Kraft knew what he was doing long before Vrabel got fired by the Titans. And Robert Kraft was not going to be like Ricketts. He wasn't going to say, oh man, I didn't know Vrabel would be around. Sorry, Mayo, you're done. Go eat bread. Go pound cheese. Nah, Mayo's the coach. I guess we could get a Belichick signing here soon too. Good job on that, Coca. Coca's the one who gave that to me yesterday. I can't take credit. Coca said it's going to be Mayo. I said, all right, we're going to go with Mayo. We are now five and four. We have won five picks in a row. We had the Mavs plus three and a half, and you were scared. Were you scared because Luca wasn't playing? I wasn't scared. I have a lifetime of watching the Knicks lose to the Mavericks in Dallas. A lifetime. So we're five and four with that win. We've got a bunch of picks because this is my favorite weekend of the year. Six wild card games, two Saturday, three Sunday, one Monday. I won't give you the Monday pick now. Tonight is the last night without a football game. Then we get three in a row. I'm going to be watching the Heat. I want to see how Spolster does with his new $100 million. I wonder if he has a different tracksuit on. Maybe a different watch if he's really flaunting his new contract to his family. Hey, look, it's an Ublow. Heat three and a half over the Magic. Magic are improved. Heat are decimated by injuries. You are going to be forced to take the Magic because you're going to think it's the right thing to do. And I'm telling you, we're going with the Heat tonight. And it's worth watching to see how great Spolstra is at getting players you've never heard of to beat good teams. All right, let's get into football. Saturday, we've got the Texans and the Browns. Who's not excited for Joe Flacco? Just six weeks ago, he was bagging groceries with his grandkids at the park. And now look at him. What's the over-under on the number of times we're going to get told by the announcers of the Texans-Browns game what Joe Flacco was doing a month ago? Or six weeks, whenever it was. 
How many times will there be a mention of Janice McNair and her incapacitation? Take the under on one. How many times Flacco will be mentioned for what he was, had been doing prior to signing with the Browns? Take the over of four. Those aren't real bets. I'm just telling you what the broadcast is going to be. How about the number of times you're going to see C.J. Stroud and what he's done? Take the over of eight. I watched C.J. Stroud. The Texans were playing the Colts. I had the Colts over the Texans last week. And then I watched and I said, wow, I'm not going to double down on this anti-Texans thing. As much as the Browns would like a playoff game and as much as I'm rooting for the Browns, which I am, I would like to point out that without Deshaun Watson, I'd like the Browns to win the Super Bowl. But I've got the Texans plus two. All right, then we're going to the Chiefs-Dolphins game. Chiefs-Dolphins, we're taking the under 43. It's going to be a negative 23 windshield. I don't think the Dolphins will have an easy time scoring. I don't think Mahomes will either. It's going to be hard to run, hard to pass, hard to do anything. So just take the under. That's a tough game for the Dolphins to win, but we're taking the under 43. And then Sunday, we've got the Switcherubo, Rams-Lions, Stafford-Goff. We're taking Rams plus three. So look at that. I'm taking two dogs and an under this weekend in the wild card round. Let's hope it's an underdog weekend. All right, to end the week, I have got what I believe is my favorite story of the year. ESPN. I'm sorry, Metalark. I'm sorry, Skipper. I'm sorry, Dan. I don't know if it's a story that you want me to cover, but guess what? All you do is license me. I can do whatever I want. Did you see what happened with ESPN? Knock on the door. Hello? Hi. Are you Shelly Smith? Yeah, why? Give me your Emmy. What? Let me into your house. I want to see the Emmy on your mantle. You can't come in my house. Let me in. I am from the Academy of television, arts, and sciences, and I'm here to collect ill-gotten gains. What are you talking about? Well, did you know that when your show won an Emmy all those years ago, the Emmys go to the producers. On-air talent is not allowed to have Emmys. And we have a mole, and we found out that you have an Emmy, and we're taking it back. And she said, what you talking about? You can't have that back. And then they took it. And people were wondering, what's happening here? And then the story came out yesterday. Let me just tell you what they did. Because this is beyond. When you submit your show, like our show for the Sports Podcast Awards, which by the way, we want you to vote for, we're in two categories, sports, best baseball podcast, best sports business podcast, please go to sportspodcastgroup.com and vote. But when we submit to be considered to be nominated, we give names. Matthew Coca producer, David Sampson host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. That's our group. I could have submitted John Cocktoasten, Dr. Rosen Rosen, and Janice McNair producing Matthew Coca and David Sampson hosting. Could have submitted that. The rule with the Emmys used to be prior to 2023 that for shows that are submitted like College Game Day, you submit producers. 
the Academy accepts the names of the producers. When the show wins, those producers get the Emmys. Like when Best Picture, the producers are up there saying, hey, I want to thank the director. I want to thank the stars. My name is John and I'm the producer. Give me that Oscar. What ESPN did is they submitted a list of names for people who produced College Game Day and the names were fake. They were made up people. And they did it in a way that was so asinine. And you wonder why people got canned because the Academy found out, they approached ESPN. They said, there's no guy named Lee Brown, Lee Coca-Cola producing. He's a made up guy. And it turns out that we sent an Emmy to Lee Coca-Cola guy at your address, you took off the plaque that said Lee Coca-Cola guy, and you put a new plaque on that said Lee Corso, and you gave Lee Corso an Emmy. That's against the rules. There's no Eric Andrews producing. You took the plaque off and you changed the K to an N and gave it to Aaron Andrews. That's not very nice of you. We want all the Emmys back. So just to be clear, ESPN submitted fake names with the same initials of the on-air talent of these shows and then got Emmys and then took the Emmys, ripped off the engraving, re-engraved it, gave it to the on-air talent thinking they deserve it, they're on-air talent, forget the Academy rules. And then someone said, we caught you. And ESPN had no choice but to say, Oh, shnikes, we're about to blame three people. We're going to fire them right now. We're going to say it was just them who did it. No one else knew. And then we're going to cooperate with the investigation and we will support you in taking back all the Emmys. But the rules have now changed. So after 2023, the honored talents can have the Emmys, but all the Emmys from prior to 2023, no Emmys. This is an actual story. This is the biggest network in all of sports. Thought everyone was an idiot. And it turns out the Academy was an idiot for all those years until someone pointed out, I'm just not sure there's someone named Tom Spicoli, Tom Rinaldi, or Gene Wilson. That's short for Woj. All these people got Emmys and they weren't supposed to get them. And The Athletic released an entire story about it, and ESPN has to be mortified. Why? How embarrassing is that? That you would hire people who break the rules, and they do it so stupidly so they can keep track of which Emmy they should do? Why wouldn't you make up a different name? Why not go to the coroner and find someone who's been dead and steal an identity like the rest of the people do? Instead, you make up names that are so close to the actual names. Is that so you can keep track of who you want the actual Emmys go to? Or so the engraver has it easy? Hey, make sure you take the LC one and make sure it says Corso. What is it like switching Emmys for dummies? The people who lost their jobs, they're not getting it back. ESPN should be ashamed. I think it's great that you're trying to get on-air talent some sort of recognition. Get them a toaster oven. Wait a minute, give him a raise. Linda Cohn got some Emmys. She didn't want to give them back. Now, individual Emmys you can keep. Linda Cohn won an Emmy for being the best female sportscaster of the year. That's your Emmy submitted on behalf of you. 
But when SportsCenter wins an Emmy, you can't give it to Linda Cohn. Or as the Academy thought, you're giving it to Linda Carlson. Holy cow. It's really incredible. The absolute insanity of that scheme. I can't believe I never thought of it. Just kidding. All right, that's the week. Thank you for going to sportspodcastgroup.com. Thank you for voting because we don't wanna just be nominated. We wanna win and we wanna win, Coca and I. We want the trophy and we wanna put it on all of our social to get credibility, to build the audience so more people can give me hugs on the street. Thanks for a great week. We'll do it again starting Monday. It's just business. Enjoy your Emmy. This is nothing personal.